How Thoughts Become Things. Now, the other day I did a podcast and it was called The Importance of Visualization and Why We Don't Actually See With Our Eyes. And I spoke about the fact that when information enters the eyes, it goes to a part of the brain called the thalamus. And we sort of muddy that information by adding to it. So, you know, what's happened to us in our past, our memory adds that information. And our anticipation about the future, be that good, bad or indifferent, adds to, to, to what we think we see. And we end up living a subjective experience or bringing into our reality things that relate to the fact that we think in a certain way. Now, as I said, you know, when, when we have an experience, you know, what we see and hear is processed by a part of the brain involved in forming, organizing and storing memory, which is called the hippocampus. And what we feel is processed by the amygdala, which is part of our limbic system. Now, the amygdala gets sensory information directly from various sensory systems that process the internal world. So the visual, auditory, olfactory and sensory systems all come together to converge in the amygdala. But what happens next is that the process of the hippocampus and the amygdala become neurologically associated and that combined memory is then consolidated and moved to more general areas of the brain for storage. It's a bit like moving something from your computer RAM drive to your computer's hard drive, if you like. However, although memory moves from the hippocampus and amygdala to the cortex during consolidation, it is returned to the hippocampus and amygdala for reconsolidation by the act of memory recall. And this is known as reconsolidation. And this is why our brains have what's called plasticity. Our memories can change. Now, using the computer analogy, it's similar to starting up your computer and selecting a specific document on the hard drive that you had previously created. When the document is opened, it is then active and as such is now using the random access memory or the RAM on your computer. When reconsolidation occurs, it makes the memory plastic and vulnerable to change. Now, what this means is that the memory can be updated and refiled in a different way to when it was initially stored or consolidated, if you like. In much the same way that a document on a computer can be amended, changed, and then restored back onto a computer's hard drive. And if used effectively, this can be a powerful and empowering aspect in our personal development. It can be used to strengthen positive beliefs and behaviours, weaken negative beliefs. The meanings associated with certain memories can be reframed to achieve a more positive outcome, and it can eliminate those outdated beliefs that hold us back. This is why certain NLP interventions, such as changing submodality structures, timeline therapy, and a swish pattern work, and I'll be covering them on this NLP course that I'm hoping to be putting together for those of you that are interested shortly. Now, in the Dalai Lama's book, The Art of Happiness, he illustrates how this adaptable process of plasticity helps create larger neural networks. The extract from the book is as follows. We are born with brains that are genetically hardwired with certain instinctual behavioural patterns. We are predisposed mentally, emotionally and physically to respond to our environment in ways that enable us to survive. These basic sets of instructions are encoded in countless innate nerve cell activation patterns, specific combinations of brain cells that fire in response to any given event experience or thought. But the wiring in our brains is not static. It's not fixed. Our brains are also adaptable. Neuroscientists have documented the fact that the brain can design new patterns, new combinations of nerve cells and neurotransmitters, chemicals that transmit messages between nerve cells, in response to new input. In fact, our brains are malleable, ever-changing, reconfiguring their wiring according to new thoughts and experiences. And as a result of learning the individual neurons themselves change, allowing electrical signals to travel along them more readily. Scientists call the brain's inherent capacity to change plasticity. The ability to change the brain's wiring to grow new neural connections has been demonstrated in experiments such as the one conducted by doctors Avi Carney and Leslie Underleader, 
at the National Institute of Mental Health. In that experiment, the researchers had subjects perform a simple motor task, a finger tapping exercise, and identify the parts of the brain involved in the task by taking an MRI brain scan. The subjects then practiced the finger exercise daily for four weeks, gradually becoming more efficient and quicker at it. At the end of the four-week period, the brain scan was repeated and showed that the area of the brain involved in the task had expanded. This indicated that the regular practice and repetition of the task had recruited new nerve cells and changed the neural connections that had originally been involved in the task. This remarkable feature of the brain appears to be the physiological basis for the possibility of transforming our minds. By mobilising our thoughts and practising new ways of thinking, we can reshape our nerve cells and change the way our brains work. It is also the basis for the idea that inner transformation begins with learning and involves a discipline of gradually replacing our negative conditioning with positive conditioning. Thus, the training of the mind for happiness becomes a real possibility because what happens, and that's the end of the, the quote from Dalai Lama's book, by the way, but what happens is, is when you change the way you think, you change the neurological connections in the brain. So why is all this important? Well, all behavior stems from thinking. If we think a certain way, we're going to act a certain way. And if we feel a certain way, that stems from our thinking. The Buddhists talk about this all the time. They say you need right thinking, right words, and right action. Now, years ago when I was studying NLP, I, I did a course with Richard Bandler. And it's quite interesting what he said. He, he said, why do people choose to think certain ways? Because people actually think that they don't choose the way they think. It just happens. Well, that's because of the way the neurons in the brain are connected. And I've spoken about this on other podcasts. You know, it's called heavy and associative learning, if you like. Because every time you think a certain way, neurons connect. And the more you think that way, the stronger those connections become. And the more neurons are recruited into that, into that network. So, as I've said before, someone who can play a musical instrument has got a larger network in their brain than someone who can't play a musical instrument because they practice that more. And this growth happens whether you're actually doing it physically or whether you're just thinking about it. You know, your brain is the best virtual reality generator in the world, you know, and we use it in, in sometimes in the wrong way. We think about things that, that make us sad. We think about things that make us depressed. We think about things we don't like. And if you do that on a consistent basis, you're gonna become depressed. Another thing Richard Bandler said, I heard him talk to someone when someone told him they were depressed. He said, how do you do it? And they said, what do you mean, how do I do it? How, what do you mean, I, I, I'm just depressed. He said, no, no, no. No one is just depressed. You have to think in a certain way for a consistent period of time on a regular basis to make yourself depressed. He said, depressed people think differently to people who are happy. He said, because happy people think in a certain way and they think consistently like that to maintain that, that happiness. So you're doing the same thing with, with, with depression. And I learned a lot from that. So when I, I was practicing as an NLP practitioner and master practitioner and I was seeing people as a cognitive hypnotherapist, I would ask them the same question. What is it you're doing to allow this to happen to you? And when you ask that question, it puts responsibility on them. Because for us to have a behavior, it must be linked to a thought process. You can't just behave without thinking a certain way. And when people say, it's just the way I am, what it means is, it's just the way I am because I've been thinking this way for so long. They just don't realize and make the connection between the two. So here's a thought for you. What if you decided to replace every negative thought you had, you just stopped when you got one, and replaced every negative thought you had with a positive one. Now, the challenge is, is, is that a lot of people have negative thoughts without thinking about it. They have a voice inside their head that, that you know, tells them negative stuff 
without them even having to do it now because they've trained it so well. Now, one thing I don't do is when I get up in the morning, I don't watch the news. I mean, the news has got enough negative thing on there to actually depress a whole nation that's probably doing it right now. And, you know, we are in a situation with COVID. We have a pandemic. Yes, that is a fact. But the way you choose to think about it will decide how you feel about it. And the way you choose to think about it will decide what you decide to do about it. Now, I can sit in front of the telly all day long and watch the news and hear all the depressing stories. It's not going to help me one bit. So I choose not to pollute my brain with that sort of thinking. I choose to look for the positive in it. And I've trained my brain to do that over many, many years. But it doesn't take long to do. So here's my challenge for you. Why don't you talk to yourself nicely in your head? Why don't you find positives in everything you do? Why don't you try and be grateful for things that you would not normally be grateful about? All of these little things will compound. And by the way, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And I'm going to come on to that on future podcasts. So you control the way your brain makes connections. You control the networks in your brain. No one else does. And here's a thought for you. If listening to this right now, you think, I actually don't like that guy. You're doing that to you, not me. You're choosing to make that decision. If you think right now, I like what he's saying, and I'm enjoying this, you've just chosen that decision too. You've always got a choice, okay? You know, if someone says, tells a joke and you get offended by that joke, it's not the joke. You've chosen to be offended by it. Now, what they've said may not be to your liking, but for you to take that on emotionally and have an emotional reaction to it means you're thinking in a way that's gonna cause that. And if you do that over time, it's not gonna do you any favors. Now, I call this podcast, How Thoughts Become Things, because when you choose to think a certain way, you create a network in your brain, a physical network in your brain, consistent with the way you think. When you choose to think a certain way, you bring things into your experience, you bring things into your reality that are consistent with the way you're thinking. Now, if you're thinking in a negative way, you're going to get those experiences to self-justify the negativity in your mind. When you choose to change the way you think and think in a more positive way, then that effect happens too. Remember this, it's not what happens to us in life that's important. It's what we choose to think about what's happened to us in our life that's important. Because what happens, happens. But the way we choose to think about that and the way we choose to learn from that define us as an individual and defines us as a human being. Nothing can affect you more than your choice of thought. Think about that and have a great day.